Hoody hoo. Hello, guys. I'm. That's my back scratcher that I bought off of Amazon. Something I didn't need, but oh, it feels lovely. And I'm just hitting myself in the hand with it. So, uh, hoody hoo. And welcome to episode 78. All right, guys. So, we're here with a, another great guest. Um, sometimes it gets weird, and sometimes I find people out of nowhere. And, uh, and this one was a recommended guest. Um, his story was something I heard through a, a, an upcoming guest that I have yet to record. Um, probably within actual, well, since this is going to be far ahead, it'll probably be the next episode. Um, but just in case it is, I don't want to say it is. Uh, but anyway, so she recommended this guy to me and his son, and I couldn't pass up on it. Not that I would have ever anyway, but uh, once I heard his story, I, I couldn't help but to actually try to reach out to him. And, and not every person you reach out to, um, you get a yes or they even respond to you. And he literally responded back to me within, I don't know, five to six hours of that day. I'm not counting. I have no idea. But um, so why don't you tell us your name, um, obviously your son's name, and just like a little bit about your story, and then we'll delve into it fully afterwards. Well, my name is Richard McDeed, and my son is Mason McDeed. Uh, Mason is uh, 25 years old now. He has CP, his spastic quad, and I've been a single dad for over 20 years now. I've raised Mason and my daughter, whose name is Gabrielle. We call her Ellie uh, for 20 years, and one day I woke up and I was world famous <laughs> because of my son. Right. Um, so I was does your Does your daughter have a disability? No, she does not. No. Okay. Um. So and I have so this is more for the audience. I have read kind of how all this got started, but uh, for the people who don't know, can you just tell us kind of obviously how you became famous and and, and what you did to you know uh, succeed and, and and what you did? Then uh, let's go back to 2016. All right. I uh, I knew my my daughter was graduating from high school, and I wanted to make it a special family year. So we decided to make our goal 500 bands in 365 days. We ended up going to a lot of shows and having a lot of fun. And we ended up making 455 bands in one year. Um, my son was switching from Gillette Hospitals to Gillette Lifetime because of his age. And we met the recreational therapist. And when we met her, he said, we need to do a story about you to encourage other parents, special needs not, to get out and be more active with their children and to get out and, and see more live music. Well, that article came out in January of 2017. And the day it came out, uh, I had a lot of people reach out to me. Uh, one was a music promoter here in Minnesota, in Minneapolis the metal scene, and he invited us to uh, what they call the Minnesota Metal Awards. And when we got there, uh, 89 bands had brought shirts and CDs for my son, and they made us feel uh, real at home. Um, from there, uh, Mason got real sick, ended up in the hospital, and uh, the bands were uh, very supportive. And uh, 
we ended up uh, having a party for him. Um, we were going to shoot for December, and that didn't work out because Nathan wasn't feeling bad the best yet. We made it March for National Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month. And we had 10 bands. We came, they came and played. We had a great time. Our team was really behind us. Um, things were just fine until the next year. Um, I sort of reached out to a company called Minded Planet to help us do a little promoting for the event uh, for, in March. Sorry, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to cut you off. The one thing that's missing, uh, I, I, of course, I want you to finish that, but um, what what is your son's connection with rock music, or especially metal at that? Because I think, you know, I don't want to leave out the most important part where you actually, you know, how the music actually affected him and made, what made you even go down this road in the first place. Okay, well, i tell you what, I'll come right back to that. Fair enough. Um, when we... Uh, uh, January came and uh, like I said, I reached out to my good planet. They they uh, put that story on Reddit and it crashed reddit.com um, which uh, if you're not aware of, they are the United States News Service right. that all journalists get their news stories from. Mm-hmm. Two hours later, I was doing an interview with National Agency who um, put Mason in uh, newspapers all over Europe. I, w- I woke up to find out my little metal festival in Minneapolis was on the front page of the UK and the Irish News. Wow. Um, so that's kind of how we became famous. That's got to be very surreal. Um, yeah, Mason, Mason, uh, Mason Metal Fest was declared the first special needs metal festival on the planet by the UK. Uh, the home of heavy metal. And the story kind of goes back even further. Um, Mason was a small guy, um, probably, I'm going to say he was about three years old. Um, he was crying. Mason cried a lot because of discomfort from his CPD. Um, I had put Metallica on and put him in his chair and um, walked away and went into the dishes. And before too long, I noticed that Mason wasn't crying anymore. And I went to check on him, and he had fallen asleep for the very first time listening to Metallica, Vengeance, Flirt. So uh, I noticed from that point on that Mason always uh, calmed down and relaxed to Metallica. Um, which is like the irony of it is kind of funny because it's very hard music and it's using music that kind of pumps you up and gets you going, but it actually for him it calms him down and puts him to sleep. Yeah, and I, I really think the reason for that is Metallica was really um, the music was very patterned, so Mesa could pick up on those patterns, and I'm sure that's what calms him down and soothes him. So I mean that's what I, I there was a reason. Why, why Metallica worked for him and why other bands didn't. Right. But you know, that's kind of where we were. That's kind of where we were and how that happened. What else can I answer for you? Um, so, like I said, I kind of want to clear up all the beginning stuff. So when he was uh, diagnosed with cerebral palsy, what, um, how, how did that like affect you? Because obviously... Um, 
I mean, his cerebral palsy is because some people are more functional than others. Um, but he, he, he does need you as far as a, as a caregiver, right? Oh yeah. Mason, Mason is passing twice. So there, there isn't, uh, anything that Mason could do on his own. Um, he has no arm movements. He has no leg movements. If you think about, uh, your body and how everything in your body is a muscle, Mm-hmm. And you can understand why Mason can't do things right. because Mason's spasticity is so strong that it pulls his bones out of places, which would explain why he's had 100, 133 surgeries. Wow. So I've helped Mason through 133 surgeries to find out that uh, um, he's an inspiring young man and the world world uh, reaches out every day. Uh positively support Mason. So it's quite a beautiful thing. Yeah. But before, I mean, obviously when you first had him and you got his diagnosis, how much did you know about cerebral palsy and how much did you know, like what kind of work you were going to have to put in for the rest of your life? Oh, I had no clue. And I was just, uh, I was a new dad uh, and I had just found out that uh, Mason wasn't going to be like other kids. Um, it was a really horrifying experience, to be honest. You know, I, was, I had just lost Mason's brother. Uh, he was a twin. And Mason was born at 2 pounds, 15 ounces. And they didn't give him but a day to live. So Mason is, is doing all kinds of uh, unique things, have broken all kinds of barriers in his lifetime. But, you know, at first it was a quite a challenge. Um, Mason cried pretty much for the first three years of his life. And that was just from discomfort from digest from his digestive system. Um, because those are all muscles. And, you know, it, it, it took a lot of learning. A lot of learning. A lot of patience. He taught me patience for sure. Um, but, you know, he, he always reacted well to music. I mean, piano and a guitar is favorite instruments. And we, we just made uh, the best of a bad situation. And we went to as many concerts as we could to get out and enjoy people. He loves meeting people. But when all this happened, I mean, he, he really enjoyed that for sure. Yeah, that that's awesome. Um how much did you, I mean, you said you learned from how strong he was and so on. How much did you, at least of these years, how old is he now? He's 25 now. Okay. How much have you learned actually just about yourself in these 25 years of just well, how to take care of him and just, you know, just you as a man? Because, you know, uh, I think what a lot of people kind of miss out on people like Mason, you know, I, I, I've kind of work with uh, children with special needs and just people similar to him, autistic or whatever. And they're kind of like our most basic model. Like they just need just little things to make them happy. They don't need everything that you and I need. They need just little things to make them happy. And uh, there's something so simple, but also just like precious about them. And then you see the kind of like with, with, in his case, metal and how much it triggers him. And you go like, okay, there is something in there where he does know what he's doing, or he does know something. It's not all just like, oh, he just doesn't know. He just, he's just a shell of a person. He's not there. Like, there is something there that's inside him. 
Um, um, most certainly. But yeah, so to get to the actual question, like, yeah, so what, what have you learned about yourself just being a father and just being around Mason your, for these 25 years? Well, I, the, big, the biggest thing would be patience. Boy, I tell you what, because I, I was as a younger guy, I was never patient at all. Um, Mason taught me that. Mason taught me uh, just how to enjoy life. I mean, because I have seen him almost die so many times that uh, we learned to take every day as a special day. Um, you know, I, I, learned, I learned how to be a dad. I learned how to be Mason's dad. That, that was everything, you know. When um, my wife of 13 years walked out from our family, um, the only reason I survived was that I was always there as a dad for him. So uh, I was able to pick up and, and take care of a six-month-old and Mason was four and a half years old at the time. So I learned a lot of things fast and I learned a lot of things hard. Um, but, you know, uh, very fortunate and very lucky and very blessed because Mason is my world, you know. My daughter now, she's he has moved away to college, and it's just us guys. I always kind of wondered what we would do. But, and uh, Mason decided to become a world-famous special needs activist. And, you know, that's how we've spent our life. Did you? Kind of unique and beautiful. Oh, absolutely. That's very beautiful. Um, did you ever, and I've asked this because lately I've been interviewing a lot of parents because... Um, I've said many occasions, I think one of the things that kind of gets lost and when people do advocate for people with disabilities, whether they have a disability or it's their child or whatever, <clears throat> the people that kind of get lost in the shuffle of, of how amazing they are is the parents or the caregivers or the teachers or the people that actually went above and beyond. Um, and, uh, so did, did you ever like have a conversation with your daughter? Um, like basically telling her that she, you know, when she's young, that, you basically have to give him more attention because obviously kids are competitive and you know, you, if you show more attention yeah. to one, the other can be really hurt by it. But in this case, he actually needs more attention than her. Oh, most certainly. Um, you know, it's always the, the to me, you kind of nailed it right there. It's to, to me, it's not so much the parents, uh, it's the brothers and sisters of special needs, right? Because, um, they're they're growing up for the first time and and learning that you know their brother and sister maybe not might not be what everyone else calls normal but it's normal for them every day you know so oh that was very important but you know i learned that my daughter was a strong person and that her love for him was was great and that um you know she was going to be there for him and she was you my right-hand man for uh, many, many years. But, you know, it comes to a point in time where everyone leaves home. And I I asked her about it today, you know, the last time I didn't even see her. And, you know, she felt very blessed. She was going to become an anesthesiologist. And when she left home, she told me that she was going to go learn how to take care of other children like him. So, I, I thought that was very, very special because, I mean, she chose her career because of her brother. That's, that's cool. 
Oh wow. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I must have missed it. What What does she actually do? Well, see, she's going to school to become an anesthesiologist. Anesthesia. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm sure she was there for a lot of. I mean, you said 100, oh. 123, 133 surgeries. 133 surgeries. Every three months, patient would get. 34 Botox pads so his bones, so his muscles went and ripped his bones out of joint. So Mason's had three hip surgeries because his muscles would pull his hips out of place. Wow. Mason, Mason's had a 16 hour um, back surgery where they put titanium rods in, in uh, to keep the spinal cord straight so that he can breathe. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, Big, big, massive surgery. Um, and she was there for all that. And I always wondered how that was going to affect her. Yeah. And you know, she was a trooper. So, you know, we're very lucky there. No, absolutely. Um, are all the surgeries that he had, are most of them all the same surgery, just constantly having to get it done repeatedly? Yes. Yep. How was a. No, no. I'm now, Mason, they, you know, not, not only has he had 133 surgeries, but Mason's had more than 107.9 temperatures that he was never supposed to live from, that he fought back and, um, you know, decided that I was, that he was going to leave in this world and, and that he was going to stay. Um, the last time Mason got real sick, um, I was leaving. I was I was brought into a, a hospital room with three doctors that I would trust, and I still was a, and they told me that I needed to send Mason to a hospice because they didn't see him getting better. And I looked at them and said, it's taken me weeks to train you in on Mason's brain injury. Mason's coming home with me. And so I left the hospital. Um... And instead of bringing him to a hospice, I brought him home. And it took me a year and a half of of working with him before he kind of started making a big turn for the better. So that was a long, that was a long, dark period there for a while. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it wasn't much later after that, Mason became a world famous guy. Well, it's amazing how life, fast life can change. Yeah, and you, you go down those periods of you know, darkness in your mind of, you know, uh, of whatever it is that's really, you know, like I deal with my depression all the time. And when you're, when there's a lot of things that are thrown at you, especially at once. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are probably telling you to go the opposite way, the way that you, the opposite way of what you actually end up doing in the end. Um, you push past that and, and kept going because, you know, there's a lot of people in your shoes would have given up on them. And oh, yeah. and the fact that you stayed with him, um, it, it you know it's a very beautiful story because you know I've I interviewed a guy a while back and his his son is in his thirties and he's now in his sixties and his wife actually uh, he's autistic and his wife actually just left she couldn't take it anymore he stayed yeah. and he found a state that actually will pay him to be his caregiver because he had a really good job making six figures and he said you know what. My son's more important. I, no matter how much money I'm bringing in here, even though we need the money because obviously all the caregiving and everything he needs, but 
no one's going to take care of him like his dad would. And, and, you know, especially with the mom leaving now, he's his full uh, resource as far as just taking care of him. So he just went and found a state that will pay him to be his caregiver. And he just, he sacrificed the rest of his life dedicated to his son. And, um, and that's why I said a lot of people like you just don't get the shine that you deserve because, you know, again, like, again, and I understand because the person with the disability does suffer the most, but if there's anybody that's close, it's someone like you because, you know, you have to see him go into that surgery room every time. And I'm sure yeah, I, held, I, held, I held him while they put the mask on every time they, they put him to sleep. Oh, 130, wow. 133 times I held him. He, he won't. Why? He won't. He'll fight them if, if you don't. Oh, yes. Yes. Mason's a master at uh, not taking that first breath when the mask comes on. Right. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, but you know, my old in there and eventually he gives in and uh, he goes to sleep and he wakes up and we go home. So, you know, but that's good. At least he, yeah. you know, he trusts you and, um, yeah, well, that means and the fact that he allows you and, and do, do you, do you end up leaving the operating room or, or whatever room they have him in afterwards? Or do you actually stay until he wakes up? I, 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 I leave while they do the surgery. Okay. Yeah, that's got to be kind of hard yep. mentally to take anyway. Yeah. Especially 133 times at that, just constantly watching your son being prodded over and oh, over. Oh, yeah. Mason's had some, you know, most of Mason's um, surgeries that were not for Botox, uh, I, I always put him to sleep during those Botox because I didn't want him to remember getting 34 shots. Right. You know? so, um. You know, most of the most of the surgeries that were not that were surgeries to um, fix bones. You know, whether it was his arms or his legs or his back. You know, they were surgeries to um, make his uh, life more comfortable. And you know, the, the big back surgery was to make it so that he could breathe because his uh, with kids with CP, their scoliosis can go off the start. Uh, Mason was 63 degrees, which is you know, about as about as curved as you're going to get, yeah. and not have troubles breathing. Can he? Can does he have any ability to to, to walk? No, no. No. Okay. So he's con- he's he's always in a wheelchair. Yes, and you know what? What a lot of people don't understand is. Uh, with 133 surgeries and 407.9 temperatures, Mason lost a lot of things of his his motion um, and being able to do things right. with time. And only to think about yourself, if you had 133 surgeries, you probably wouldn't be able to do the same things tomorrow as you did today. Right. And Mason is very much like that. Like yeah. Mason used to be, Mason used to be able to use his arms. To some degree, you know, but now he can't move them at all. Right. Yeah, there's only so much the body can take. Um, yes. You know, I've had these eye surgeries and stuff, and they'll say, like, uh, you know, we want to repair your scar tissue on your cornea. And we, yeah. And, but the, the, how that, a lot of that scar tissue got there is from surgeries, but we want to do more yeah. surgeries on it. It's like, oh, like, you know, you, you only, you want to know, like, is it, worth the risk now in his case he actually have to get has to get these surgeries but um you know sometimes you wonder how much it's worth it 
Um, oh, yeah. No, I, I, I got to the point where I really trusted doctors, and I, st- and I still do. Right. But I've also learned that they do not know everything about brain injuries, and they're very much uh, have to listen to parents about their children and say Mason's situation. Right. Because Mason's brain injury is different than anybody else's brain injury. You know, we're all different people. So, you know, um, that's really the biggest thing I've learned. I mean, you know, when, when, when they looked at me and told me I needed to bring him to a hospice, and I said no, well, that, that was huge. That, that, was, uh, that was definitely a defining moment because um, they had given up on him, Mason. And I wasn't even about to start. I remember, you know, at about a year after I had him home, I had him at a neurologist, and I, I was starting to get frustrated. And I asked her, I said, "So what? What's the normal recovery time of something like this?" And she told me that for every day in the hospital, uh, it was going to be at least a day at home. And when I brought Mason home, he had a, a tube sticking out of his kidney. And needing two kidney surgeries and a gulf, gulf zone surgery, gulf butter surgery. So uh, we 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 really had a lot of work ahead of us. Mason was a trooper, and he fought through all that. And in time, he uh, he got much better. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I'm sure at this point, how many surgeries you've witnessed, and I mean, you may not be able to actually facilitate or actually perform this procedures, but I'm sure you probably know just as much about him as the doctors or anyone else in this world would because of how much information has no, been thrown at you. I, uh, I, I remember uh, uh, the public health nurses from the state of Minnesota coming out to my home. And we, we talked for several hours, and when they left my home, they deemed me a nurse for all my knowledge that I had with me. So, that's how much I've learned in, in the time that I've been taking care of base and I've learned enough to become a nurse. Because of, uh, at that time, it was probably 18 years of experience of dealing with, with uh, spike cast and um, surgeries and medicines and, you know, just taking care of Mason on a day-to-day basis. So I'm that's one of the things I, I'm uh, capable of doing now is, is I've been deemed a nurse by the state of Minnesota. That's great. You talk about things that I've learned, that would be one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how, how do you guys take care of him? Does he have a caregiver, like, uh, you know, 24-7, or do you guys take care of him? Or We do take care of him. He lives in our home. Um, I have a, an older sister. Actually, I have two sisters. They're twins. But a long time ago, I hired one of them to be Mason's PCA, so I have family that take care of him. Um, we have pretty much ships between us three going forward that take care of Mason. Mm-hmm. And it is a 24-hour situation. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's great that you have that familiness, like the family-oriented situation around oh. him, because that's, that's super oh. important. Oh, it sure is. It sure is. You know what? I uh, you know a lot of people say, well, why don't you send him to a home? I'd be like, well, there are a lot of great homes out there, but I don't think that uh, they're, they're going to be able to give the care that that my sister and I would give him. So, right, um, and they don't love him. You do. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that there's anything wrong with that because I know a lot of people that are in you know, home, and right. I wish them the best of luck. And fortunate, I'm fortunate to be able to keep Mason at home with us. Well, the fact that you have all these people that can help you, it gives you time for yourself as well. Because I'm sure he is a huge handful. And oh yes, I mean I, I, I learned a long go a long time ago. The only way I was ever going to take care of Mason was if I took care of myself. Right. So when I was when I was 33 and going through my divorce, uh, I looked in the mirror and I said, "Oh, what can I do?" And I ended up coming up with uh, selling homes. So that's what I changed my career to. I became a real estate agent, and then I, years later, I started my own real estate company. And you know, it was that was always me being me. Um, it was always the thing that made me happy so that I could. Uh, take care of my family. Um, I couldn't tell you how many times I've sold homes from hospital parking lots while I was uh, at the hospital with me. So, I mean, it was a good fit for me. Um, but, you know, in the last couple of years here, I've given all that up just to make uh, uh, being a special needs actor just my life. Do you... Because I learned long ago, life is short. And Mason and my time are short, so Absolutely. I really want to waste my time doing that anymore. Absolutely. Um, so now, actually, being an advocate for that, do you what? What is you do you feel is, is really missing for children with special needs or adults? Anyone? Um, for, for, like, what are you really advocating for besides the actual, just the human? Well, one of my advocating the biggest thing that I'm advocating for is. Um, think about it like this. You know what the Olympics are and you know what the Special Olympics are, right? Right. They're, they're for sports. I'm doing the same thing but for art and music. So that's what I'm advocating for. Um, because there's a lot of young children with uh, special needs that really love music and uh, end up becoming musicians or artists themselves. Um that's what we're doing. We're, we're doing what I call um, the, the Mason Art and Music Fest, and that'll be for all artists and all musicians in every country on this planet. And right now I've got just about that put together. Yeah. So it's here and it's starting. And every time I tell somebody that uh, Mason is starting the Olympic for artists and musicians, you should see them smile. You know? So... Um, that's really what I'm advocating that the unity, right? right? Acceptance, inclusion, mm-hmm. well, they're all important things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure he's very grateful for you and for what you do for him. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, like I said, that's, uh, you're kind of giving them more options um, because yes. they, they have very yes. few. And, yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of people say, well, what, well, what's the charity? What are you doing this for? And I, I decided a lot of the charities, they didn't really need my help. But all these artists and musicians do need my help. So um, that's what I'm making this about. Um, ne- next year when we have our show, well, let's go back to last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we talked about how I had 10 bands come and play Mason's show. Right. That was in 2018 and 2019. In 2020, Mason went from 10 bands to 
1,187 bands playing in 57 United States shows in 39 different states, plus a dozen different shows worldwide. So next show, Mason will have over 5,000 bands playing his show. Wow. There'll be shows in every USA state, which um, uh, my, my, my rule goal is four or five shows per state. Maybe 200 shows in the United States with bands that are uniting for uh, special needs. Now, are these only so, heavy metal or are these all different type of genres or? These are all heavy metal right now. Um, but like I said, we will be switching those to uh, all music in the future. And my goal would be to do two shows, one for uh, metal and one for all music. Yeah. And you know that that's just how we're gonna how we're gonna run it. But what I found having eleven hundred and eighty seven bands playing was everybody in the band well let's let's let me say that again. What I found out was a lot of people in bands had children with special needs. Oh wow. Or they had special needs themselves or they knew somebody with special needs. Mm-hmm. We talk, well, it's, it's metal music, but it's also techno. It's also uh, punk. It's all kinds of different kinds of music already now. But in the future, it will be all music. Wow, yeah. I already know that. Right. Well, and if you look at most music nowadays, like every genre kind of bleeds into each other. Like you look at like some country is now hip hop, which if you looked at that in years, years ago, you would think they were like would never collaborate and there would never be any similarities but now you know country hip-hop rock like it's all intertwined at this point so you'll see a little bit of everything even someone uh like i'm just trying to like even like the allman brothers like they're country there's a little rock and there's a little like just there's just so many different genres uh even over the years but especially now so uh it's easy to kind of cross over into other avenues of the music business because uh, like I said, they're all kind of intertwined at this point. They're all music. They're all music. Yeah. And that's why I think I think it's kind of silly that we have this thing called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yet there's so many people in there that aren't rock and roll. And yeah. we just should just call it the Music Hall of Fame. Like, that's what it is, really. Um, instead of just having all these subgenres and all that, like, you know, they have all these other little, you know, award shows for country and hip-hop and all that. And yet... You know, and all these other uh, like museums and stuff just for these other genres. But the reality is, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is kind of where everyone you know resonates with who's the top of the art, top artist over you know many decades. And yeah, we should just call it the Music Hall of Fame, and and you know, kind of what you're doing just with your sons, like just eventually bring it all around to it's just music and see how it affects them. Um, now, are, yeah, are these concerts are these concerts just for uh, special needs children? Or are they for everybody? Um, oh, they're for everybody. They're for everybody. But your your main goal is to include um, people like your son. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I've since since uh, February seventh when Mason Crash read it, I have heard from dozens of musicians with cerebral palsy. Like I know uh, guys who play guitar in Italy that have CP and are in a wheelchair. 
that can play better than than most people's vaginal wheelchair right. because it has their CP doesn't affect their arms and, and this and that. It's just affects their legs. Right. Um, I have a, a special needs um, young man in Australia who has CP who can sing like Ozzy Osbourne or Robert Halford. He really is that good of a singer, but yet he is in a wheelchair. He can't use his legs. So I know so many like that. And, you know, they reach out every day and say, don't stop doing what you're doing. Um, now, the bands that come, are these a lot of, like, up-and-coming? Are there mainstream bands or a little bit of both? Um uh, well, so far, they've all been bands in our communities um, that have been playing. I have had some interest from they uh, like Gene Hoagland, who did a a video positively supporting us. Awesome. Uh, when Mason um, went and seen Foreigner play, uh, I've seen their guitarist who had been waiting about three years to meet Mason. Um, Give Mason the biggest hug I've ever seen anyone give anybody and look up at me and say, I'll come and play your show. Right. Um, just don't do it in the fall time, which kind of tells me uh, he grew up uh, on a farm and he's got to go back home and do harvesting come fall time. Right. Well, you know, musicians uh, tend to have other jobs and tend to do other things in our communities other than play music. Right. So, even their music careers, though, I mean, they're especially a lot of the major bands, uh, even if they're not putting out new albums, you'll see like ACDC or Metallica or whoever, they're constantly performing all their hits and they're just all over the world and you never, like, they're still performing to this day. I mean, you know, look how old Ozzy is. No one even thought he would have lived this long. And, yeah. you know, he keeps having his slip-ups and so on, but he still keeps putting out music and he, he'll still perform and... Um, oh, yeah. Even, oh, like, yeah. even like Springsteen. Springsteen's like 75 or something, you know, maybe even older, and he's up there dancing and throwing his hips out, and don't, he don't care. Um, the, singer, the singer for ACDC is probably 84 years old. Oh, right. Okay. Then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was 44 in 1980. Wow. <laughs> that's eight years right. before I was born, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how long he's been doing music. Wow. Yeah, that's another 40. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. But, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, you talk about metal, right? I mean, I come from Jackson, Minnesota, where David Ellison comes from. And Megadeth would never tour during the fall time for that same reason. Mm-hmm. Because he went home and, and he rode in a combine on his family farm um, during the fall time. So Megadeth didn't tour during the fall time because of that. Oh, that's cool. Um, So, you know, kind of getting to these concerts, what, 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 how surreal was like the first concert? I mean, obviously, you know, it, it's one thing to kind of put some feelers out there and, and just talk about it and all that, but to actually execute it and all these people are coming to play for your son and others. Um, what is it like for when you, when it first happened until now where it's progressing for what it is? Like, what is it like just being in, in the audience? Oh, well, I tell you what, well, our, our first show, uh, was probably one of the biggest shows Minnesota had for community bands, right? Because every everybody in the music scene wanted to come and see the show. So I, I thought that was really cool. Um, Norton, you know, musicians, uh, 
You know, they're a lot like special needs. They're not united, right? So right, um, right. It, it was really cool to see that. And, you know, that, 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 that was special in itself. And for them to come and see Mason and how they react with Mason. And, you know, ever since Mason's first article, 500 bands in 365 days, um, people have been reaching out to Mason. Um, I, I, uh, one of the ladies that reached out to me, she was a special needs mom. Her, her son, John, has CP. And she had, or I would say John wrote Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden a letter using his communication device and his knee. And it turns out Bruce Dickinson answered his his letter. And every time that they would play the Roxy, um, they would carry John in his wheelchair up to the dressing room and he would critique Bruce Dickinson's work for him. And uh, John passed away and he had this huge, huge Iron Maiden collection. And she wanted to make sure it was going to go to a good home. Um, so she she reached out to me and she gave Mason about 40 posters and all his CDs and uh, I could just tell that she was uh, happy um, that her son's stuff went to a good home. But, you know, I thought it was a cool story because here her son is writing a letter to Bruce Dickinson with his knee. And Bruce answers him. Yeah. I mean, that's a very cool story. Yeah. And especially nowadays. People think it's much easier to reach some of these people now, especially because of, like, Twitter where celebrities are right there and you can reach out to them. But, I mean, honestly, back in the day, they probably were more likely to reach out to you for, by letters and things because they were, you know, less, they wouldn't, it's harder to come by them. And now it's oh, like yeah. there's so much flooded, you know, people troll on the internet and they say all kind of crap and there's so many fake things that are on the internet that most people just they just don't even bother or they don't even read their messages. Um, and to actually get a hold of someone uh, on that level of fame and they, you know, obliged and, you know, and it just helped you out. It was something that's really that's, sweet. That's so true. I mean, I I remember reaching out to um, when 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 all this happened for Mason's article, five hundred bands in three hundred sixty five days. Um, I had sent the uh, uh, I'm gonna go back when that happened. Um, the pictures that we took were at a helmet show in Minneapolis. And the Siren Tribune came, and, and they took pictures of Masons for their article, and um, then they left. And I'll never forget it. What she told me was, you guys get places uh, that I never get to, and I'm not in a wheelchair. And that's kind of what opened the door for Mason and having a music career was, you know, I, w I was told Mason needed to have a career, and I was not happy with what, you know, the county was telling me that Mason could do. They wanted him to get on a bus with strangers and go run a head, uh, a coffee maker with a head switch. And I said, well, that's not the kind of life Mason that I want for Mason. Right. Mason loves people and he loves music, so I made him a music correspondent. Yeah. Is that is that, like, frustrating, not only just as a father, but just as a person to know, I mean, you know, we can, it's kind of cheesy when you talk about inner beauty and all that, but it kind of defines him. Whereas like, there's a lot 
he obviously can verbalize all that affects him and makes him happy and so on. So you, you know all his little cues, uh, and there is so much more and so much more depth to him. It's just he can't ex- express it like you and I could. And for the average person that you're trying to explain this to, they probably won't take you serious because it's like, well, he can't speak, so or he can't think like us, or he can't do all this. But in reality of it is he does express, and he does have a lot of things that make him him. Um, so is, is it is it frustrating just as a father, as a person, just to, to know that most people don't will never understand Mason and how beautiful of a person he actually is? You know, I I don't want that bother me. You know, when the 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 uh, um, see, um, they're whatever they think is not going to change how Mason and I live our lives. Um, I've uh, when Mason crashed Reddit the first time, there was thirteen hundred comments, and there was two of them that basically called me a retard for doing what I was doing. Right. And two out of 1,300 comments. And those two comments didn't last long because everybody there, you know, they, they pretty much told them to shut their mouth, you know. They piled on and to I them, find, yeah. I, I would find that to be very true if I would go to a concert. If there was, you know, 10,000 people there, there might be one person there that might think that why are we there and we shouldn't be there, Right. Right. But everybody else around us would set them straight. I would never have to say a word. Yeah. You know, I'm so, so, um, you know, May Mason has never spoken one word, but yeah, he's found a way to unite our planet, is basically what Mason is doing. May Mason has put Mason Metal Fest in every community in, in every country on this planet. With no no news coverage from the United States, right. still to today, not one newspaper has ever written about Mason except for his very first article. Yeah. But at people in Russia write about Mason. Mason's on the Rolling Stone cover in Brazil, wow. right? He's on the Rolling Stone cover in Brazil, right? So, you know, it all depends on where you're at, whether you're hearing the story or not. And that, that's my goal for 5,000 bands is because I'm going to get everybody talking about special needs. Yeah, that's the kind of, that's kind of probably the end goal. I mean, you can have the music, you can have the inclusion of having those children in the, in the audience and people accepting them and loving them for who they are. But at the end of the day, it's about the bigger message of appreciating these people and giving them the needs that they need and, and giving them more opportunities. And, uh, right. yeah. When when this all happened, well, especially the teacher that I have a lot of respect mm. for reached out to me and she said, you're doing a great job, but it's impossible to bring uh, CP and special needs in the forefront of our community. So it became my goal yeah. to do that for every community on this planet. And that's what we're doing. Yeah, that's amazing. Mason, um, not last August, um, was on three TV news stations in Australia. And I have a lot of friends there in Australia. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said their kids said, hey, mom and dad, your metalhead friends from Minnesota are on TV. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they went in there and us boys were on their TV and TV news stations. 
the next day they came home from school and they said that children in their schools, elementary and high schools, seen that. And they were talking about Mason Metal Fest. Yeah. Mason, Mason Special Needs. Think about that. Every school, you know, every, every, every state in Australia, all schools in, all, in Australian states, there were children talking about Mason Special Needs Metal Festival. Yeah, that's that same video was shown in the UK and, you know, other places. I, I very seldom do I find people that don't know uh, about Mason Metal Fest these days. Yeah. yeah. Fewer every day. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, your your message is, is very valid and, and inspirational because, you know, when I first started, there was a lot of people, even in the disabled community, were saying, look, it's great what you're doing, but, you know, talking about disabled rights and needs and all that, it's not sexy. It doesn't sell, you know. You, no. You know, you got to talk about celebrity gossip and all the bullshit that no one cares about. I mean, the thing that yeah. people do care about, but they don't really, really care about because it's not really affecting their lives. It's just, it distracts them from the actual things that are really affecting their lives. And You, you pretty much nailed it right there. Yeah. And, you you know, what you're doing, you know, what I'm doing, what, what some others are doing, it's, you know, I don't know if you saw the documentary Crip, Crip Camp, which I've talked about it so many times, and it, it's on Netflix, and it's just about all these people that go to this camp, and they have all these different disabilities. And this is early on before people with disabilities, anybody, forget Mason, just even someone like me with a just a vision problem. Um, I'm not allowed to go to public schools. You know, there is no such thing as Social Security. There's no, you know, we're never allowed to work and all these things. And, uh, and all these people were on the forefront, and they fought for us to get all these rights. And, you know, I don't, I feel like, we're in this time now where a lot of us are not, or not enough of us anyway, are not doing enough to take that baton and, and what they did for us and push the boundaries even further. Because yes, we have improved uh, and, and we aren't as bad as we used to be, but you can say that about everything that's going on now, you know, gay rights or black rights and all these different things, but disabled rights are so much further behind than everyone else's. And there's not enough of us like you that are just constantly saying, no, we are going to do this because as you were saying earlier, you know, it gets dark, it gets lonely and there's a lot of doubt that creeps in and there's, you know, you want to kind of conform and actually fall into that darkness and say like, yeah, I guess they're right. I can't do this. But once you do that, that's just another person that gave up and there's, you know, there's very few of us fighting as it is. And if we lose one person, that's, as I've said many times, it's like losing 10 new people supporting. Oh, and we have a lot of fighting to go yet. Yeah. And you, yes. well, I'm, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty sad how, uh, uh, you know, as le at least in my state, how uh, it's changed for special needs. And it's not getting better. No. So um, I have no problem using my platform. <laughs> right. But again, if you think about it, if you weren't here or if you weren't, let's say you gave up on Mason or let's say you not, not even gave up on him, just took care of him and never really put his message and put him out to the public and ever cared, yeah. cared about these concerts, that's one less person. I mean, you, you already said how bad it is in your state as it is. Well, imagine if you weren't doing what you're doing. Like, it, yeah. it, that's even lesser. Like, you, you know, people like him are getting yep. screwed even more so. Um, but at least there's people in Australia and all over the world know who he is. And, and I mean, it sucks if you can make some change in other countries than you can more than your own. But, um, but in a lot of other countries are a lot worse than ours as well too. So, 
Um, yes. Did you ever think about, and again, I know this is easier said than done because they're huge, but did you ever think about trying to reach out to Metallica because that's kind of like the, the beginning process of all this? Oh, I'm pretty sure that they know about us. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't, um, if you know who Primus is, right? Yep. Who, who Les Claypool is, Okay. The guy that taught Les Claypool how to play guitar reached out to me. Wow, okay. And he's the uh, singer for Blind Illusion. Okay. And the story that he told me was that Les wanted to learn how to play guitar. He asked Kirk Hammett if he could teach him how to play guitar. And Kirk Hammett looked at him and said, you need to go talk to Mark. Mark's the best guitar player there is. Right. I mean, these guys are buddies since high school. I'm sure Metallica knows about me. So. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I don't want to keep you on too long, but I, um, what, um, again, I know this is probably a stupid question, but, you know, as, as a father, did, did you ever, would you, would you ever do it over what you have done? Uh, would you have ever just said no and just, you know, gave up on them and, and just said, no, forget all this effort? No, yeah. no, no. Made me who I am. Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad you said that. Um, did you have any? I always let the guests like towards the end just kind of give any advice to anybody that in, in uh, similar circumstances. So, do you have any advice for the younger Richard who, you know, they have a son now or a daughter or anyone who has someone that's that close to them, especially their kid that has cerebral palsy or a similar condition, and obviously they have to be for the most part, their caregiver for the rest of their life. Um, you have any advice for them and just how to just stay strong and, and, and you know, continue to push through and, and not give up on them? You have, you have to take care of yourself first. Yeah, that's good. That's the, that, that's the rule. Um, that is the rule in taking care of anybody. You have to take care of yourself first because you need to be, be at your best. Um, and it's funny you say that because I have heard from thousands and thousands of special needs families since Mason crashed the United States news server. And, um, you know, just talking with them every day and listening to their stories and being there, it's so important. So um, that's my, my, kind of my advice is, is make sure that, you know, when you get to my age, and you did it for 20-some years, um, to help others out. Because I remember, you know, 20 years ago when I became a single dad, there was nobody. Or even before that, when I was married, there was nobody. I knew nothing about special needs. I knew nothing about CP. It was all things that you're going to learn in time. And you will take on different bites and you'll digest that and learn that. And that's your building block for the next step. So, um, you know, that would be my advice. Take care of yourself so you take care of others. Probably the most important advice I could ever tell anybody doing anything, whether you're special needs or not. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times we tend to look for others um, for when we need something, when we're hurting and or we, we like to fix other people's problems, but we have just forgot about our own. I mean, it's kind of yeah. like an analogy for our country, right? Like we're constantly worrying about what other people are doing, but we never really fix what's going on back here. 
And, right. and it's just kind of, you know, like if you, if you like, you know, there's a lot of fathers or mothers that are just dealing with their sobriety and, and you know, maybe they're dealing with alcoholism and they're drinking themselves yeah. to death because, you know, they're depressed of whatever's going on or even depressed about their child and what they're suffering with. And then you know, it's like, yeah, if you don't take care of that, you probably won't even be around for this child's life anyway. Uh, yeah. If you don't take yeah. care and love yourself, then, you know, how are you supposed to actually take care of, I mean, even when they're young, they're a handful, but you know, with like Mason, he's a full grown boy. Now he's, you know, he's almost 30 years old and you can't take care of him if you're not in just even at least mentally prepared and, and mentally in shape to deal with them. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, brother, I, I appreciate you for doing this. I really do. Um, I know it was kind of out of nowhere or whatever, but I know you, you have a lot going on, but, uh, like I said, you can, I'll keep in touch. Make sure you're doing all right. I'll let you know when it comes out. But, um, like I said, when, when you reached out, when you reached out, you know my 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 gut instinct was to say no because I wasn't really ready to talk about uh, Mason's next show. Um, but um, it won't be coming out for a while me, anyway. So after 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 seeing you know your dedication and what you're doing, I had to say yes. I appreciate it. But I mean, like, look, if there's anything you wanted me to take out or anything you didn't want to talk about, you didn't have to, I wasn't trying to, I'm not trying no. to, I'm not trying to use you for views or anything like that. Like I genuinely just love what you're doing for your son. And like I said, there's more, yeah. there's more people, it's we pretty, need more people like you. So, you know, it's a pretty cool story. And ever since the day, day one, I've had many of my good friends and they tell me, uh, Mason's is a good story. And our world needs to hear a good story right now. Absolutely. The, the dark world that we're, I mean, I, I learned a lot from 2020 and not nothing to do with masks, nothing to do with COVID, just how we should have taken care of each other. We should have reached out. Like I reached out to so many people. I mean, I started the podcast, so I, I met a lot of new people as well, but even the people that I had nothing to do with the podcast, just people, I, you know, my former teachers and just people that I had their contact information, whether it's Facebook or, or wherever their numbers I just started reaching out to them, especially the older ones, the ones that are more susceptible to sickness. And I just started checking on them and caring about them. And I'm not saying that to make me seem good. It's just, I figured that's what, I mean, I, I figured people wouldn't do it because people just always disappoint, but I figured, you know, come on, like this is the year, like we're now stuck with our homes, with our families. Like you would think we would love each other more. We'd try to take care of each other. Well, no domestic violence and child abuse went up and it's like, we need more goodness. Like, that's why I, I keep saying I'm trying to put a little, I'm trying to put some good energy into this dark world we live in because there's, again, there, there is a lot of good, like what you're doing and, and many other people doing great things, but it just gets swallowed up by all the darkness that's around us and all the evilness that people just continue to put out there. And it, it's, it's unfortunate because. So it's, it's how our culture is right now. Right. And um, we need to change our culture. That change has already started. Yeah, yeah, and, and there are people doing that uh, from from different angles. Nothing to do with Man, all, you, you know. Yeah. If you if you look at Mason's story, right? Mason mm-hmm. crashed the United States news server. Think about that. Every journalist in this country seen Mason's story and chose not to write about him. Not just once, but six times now. Yeah. Every journalist has decided not to write about him. Yeah. There's something wrong there. But yeah, the, the, the goal is, I mean, the goal isn't even to get them to write about him. The goal is just to annoy them enough and get yourself out there to the point where you're, he's, a, he's, he's unignorable and to the point where they yeah. actually will eventually have to write about him. 
Because that's at some point somebody's going to reach, and like, like even just said, like Metallica, like you imagine one day Metallica brings them on stage or something. Like, yeah, somebody's going to have to write about that. And yes, when, when we have 5,000 bands playing, every journalist in this country is going to write about Mason. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that'll be the biggest change that has happened in my lifetime. Absolutely. And what I think, you know, doing again, I'm a small podcast and I'm, I'm building and so on. But you, if you keep putting his story out there by just reaching out to all these different communities, especially in the disabled community, like you shouldn't. And I know you're not shy about telling a story. I know you're very proud of him. Um, yeah. But, you know, and again, I know some people will probably take the story and run with it in a different way. And I, I get it. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. but the more you tell a story and, and the more you get it out of there, the more people are going to push it and, and, and fall in love with it. Because again, like you said, there's a lot of people out here that not only have disabled children, but especially children like your son and they will be, you know, they'll fall in love with it. Like they're just for quickly, there was a story that happened here in town. I don't know about a year ago. I actually know the guy's sister. She's a great woman, but he ran this restaurant and there's a special needs uh, man came into the, into the restaurant and sat down and he told him he had to sit in the back of the restaurant. He couldn't sit out here anymore. And you know, a lot of that stuff tends to get swept under the rug. People won't care because people get with disabilities get, you know, judged and treated poorly all the time. But in this yeah. case, one of his waitresses uh, has a child with special needs and she not only quit, she lost her shit. She reported it to the paper. All the people, all the waitresses and waiters quit and the whole town kind of had a whole shit fit over it and he lost his job or he lost his whole, his whole building and, uh, had to foreclose and, and, you know, quit. And, uh, they made some noise just again, stuff like that doesn't normally happen. But the fact that he, he did it in front of the wrong woman and everyone followed suit and they fought for this, this guy who literally, did nothing but just want some food and a beverage at this guy's uh, bar. And he treated him like a piece of meat and everyone fought back and said, we're not allowing this to happen. And stuff like that is possible and stuff like that does really happen out there. It's just, it's not, doesn't get covered like all the evilness that has been covered in the last, well, I mean forever, but especially last year. I'm going to say 50 years. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, we've made progress. Slavery, for the most part, doesn't exist. And, and, you know, and gay people can get married. And there's a lot of things that we are progressing on. But there's a lot of things that we are not, or we are, but it's a very slow pace. And we're we're caring about who's running for the president. And the reality is they don't really do much for us. And they don't care about us, regardless of who you vote for. You have to take take care of back home. You got to take care of your family and take care of your community and... That's how you slowly build and you come together and you, you fight for what's right and not, you know, what's covered in the media and all that. Because all that stuff is just to keep us separated and keep us divided. Because, you, yeah. know, you know, black and... It's, it's, it is time to unite now. I'm sorry, say that again? It is time to unite now. Absolutely, more than ever. It's, you know, if you if you look at all, like, the tension that goes on racially, black and white people get along all the time. It's just that's not yeah. something that sells. You want it. You want yeah. people to kill each other. You want people to be divided. And you know, if if people are together, that's how you make change because they can't ignore you. And uh, exactly. So what you're doing is is amazing. And like I said, I will continue to follow your journey. And and you know, maybe down the road we'll do an updated episode, and maybe you'll have 
10 million bands at your concert or whatever it is. It'll be something amazing. Um, but I wish you nothing but the luck. And like I said, I will keep in touch. That sounds like a great plan. I appreciate you having me on. Of course, brother. You, uh, you hang in there and, uh, tell Mason I said hi. And, uh, like I said, you, you stay healthy. You do say, thank you. Thank you, buddy. <clears throat> All right, guys. Uh, that was really good. I'm sorry. I was definitely off in that episode. Um, well, I, I just got a new computer and I'm kind of transferring everything over and all that bullshit. But uh, the actual excuse is that I'm coming off my medication and every couple of days I have to just take a, a half a tablet of Zoloft because I get so dizzy and just it, I'm just trying to weigh off of this. I just don't like how I feel on it. Uh, and it blocks my thoughts and I'm, I, I just, I was struggling to get my thoughts in that interview and I feel bad cause I really just, I, I'm so happy to have him on and, uh, I thought it was still well, but it, it, I thought it was still pretty good, but I, I just it, I struggled. Um, maybe it's more, maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, I, I love his story. He was, he was a great guy. Um, uh, it just sporadically happened and, uh, I really feel like something's bubbling with this podcast. I really, 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 really do because... I know how many reallys do you need, dude? Um, no, I really, I really feel like something's bubbling with this because the more great guests I'm getting, and it's starting to reach out to people that are just bigger and, and have more eyes on them. And that's not always necessarily the goal, but it's like you want to get that message out and and have as many people hear it as possible, so you can keep more people alive. And um, so, yeah, like I said, it, I'm I'm just very grateful of everything that's unraveling with this and. Uh, in a good way, but uh, I'm gonna go get all this stuff downloaded onto these or transferred over to these two computers. Um, yeah, of course the time couldn't have been worse because it came like 20 minutes before I had to do the interview, and so and then of course it says like two hours before it all migrates over and uh, whatever. As the kids say, whatevs. Um, <laughs> so I will see you guys on the next one. Um, I'm going to try to go lay down and get some of this dizziness out of my brain. And, uh, I'm going to try to function like a normal sane human, which I don't know what that's like, but I'm going to try. Uh, I will see you guys next week as always. See you guys. Bye.